and welcome to Retro Encounter episode 178. Uh, today, it's me, Robert Fenner, uh, and joining me are Alana Hags. Hello. And Michael Slosey. Hello. Hello, you two. Thank you for joining me. Uh, Mike, it seems like when you and I get together, we end up uh, doing the occasional episode um, about a, um obscure, defunct uh, Japanese developer. And We uh, do! This year we're doing Wolf Team. Yeah, um, I uh, don't know a lot about Wolf Team's oeuvre in general, other than that they made Tales of Fantasia, one of my favorite Super Famicom RPGs, and then uh, they had an unusually uh, unusually influential group of people working there that went on to make a lot of interesting games. So I think their Wolf Team is, even though I'm not an expert on them, they're interesting uh, as a developer that made a lot of cool games in the 90s and then maybe even more interesting as to sort of what they became after they broke up the the moment in wolf team's history that most people are going to be familiar with and that i think is kind of the pivotal moment is um the split that uh that happened uh in the at the end of the 90s that turned the companies uh it it split into two companies which were uh namco tales studio and uh tri ace and um alana i believe you're very familiar with these two with these two developers Yeah, I definitely know everything from and after the split. So mm-hmm. I've kind of followed both development teams keenly and seen where both have gone right and wrong and which one's gone more wrong than the other one. And I think it's a strange kind of story because I'm not really familiar too much with their older properties. Um, mm-hmm. But digging into it a little bit before we recorded um, has been really fascinating, actually. And it's been really, really insightful. They didn't have a lot released in the West. Uh, Wolf Team began in uh, in 1986 as a Telenet subsidiary. So uh, those were the days, uh, the heady days of the Japanese microcomputer, the the MSX and the the PC88 and the PC98. And you have a lot of affection for old Telenet and uh, and 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 old <laughs> Japanese PC gaming. If I know you, Rob, do I? <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely do. Um, so for for a long time, um, Wolf Team had no presence. Uh, in the United States. Um, but when they started out, uh, they started out as a Telenet subsidiary. Uh, they made the um, PC-98 versions of uh, Valis 1 and 2. I don't, know, I don't know how many people listening will be familiar with Valis, but Valis is what um, Sega Trash Kids had instead of Castlevania. Uh, it was a <laughs> sort, of, yeah. sort of racy, magical girl, uh, Castlevania-like. You know, old school, uh, old school platforming Castlevania rather than rather than mm. Metroidvania. But it was all about Yuko, the uh, magical schoolgirl, and her claim over the Valis Sword had nothing to do with the uh, with the Philip K. Dick novel of the same name. But they um, they they famously did the the racier uh, microcomputer versions of those games. Sounds uh, almost like a uh, like a more saucy version of Psycho Soldier or something. Psychos. Oh, that's uh, that's SNK. Wait, 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 with a, yeah, with Athena from SNK. The little girl with powers inside. Yeah, the yeah, the, <laughs> the, the magical girl in a in a in a sailor outfit with psychic powers who eventually becomes the magical girl of King of Fighters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this was kind of before Magical Girl. Um, uh, uh, I don't want this to be all about Valis, but this is kind of before the Magical Girl boom. It was a few years before. We'll have to have a, a Valis spinoff episode in uh, in May or June. We, oh, we can manage it. Oh my god, I don't think it fits our criteria. To be as much as I would love that, I don't. Oh. I, yeah, there's no RPG elements in Valis. Bummer. Um, 
so that was pre-Magical Girl Boom. Uh, and then Telenet broke away, or blah, Wolf Team broke away from Telenet in 87 to uh, make a go of it on their own. And during this time, they, um, I think their, their star property, they did a bunch of shooters, but their star property was uh, this trilogy of RPGs called the Arcus series. Uh, and they, uh, they had uh, Narumi uh, Kakanuchi on board to do uh, character designs uh, for that series. And she, she, uh, she was the, uh, the manga artist who created Vampire Princess Miyu. So they had some, some star, power, yeah. star power manga uh, artists uh, behind them at the time. Um, and Arcus was very much their, it was their take on wizardry. Uh, the, the first and the third game were dungeon crawls, and the second game was more of a... Um, was was more of a traditional RPG, and uh, if anybody's familiar with Wolf Team's '90s work, uh, the uh, Sega Genesis uh, game uh, Arcus Odyssey is a it's a retelling of Arcus One, uh, but in like a gauntlet style gauntlet style of game. I kind of love the art for this. I'm just I'm just uh, I'm not very familiar with Arcus, but mm. I'm looking at screenshots, and uh, yeah, it's it's that uh, late '80s, early '90s anime aesthetic. Mm. Uh, looks kind of looks like a um, the overworld looks like it has a little bit more detailed sprites than your uh, than your Dragon Quest fours of the world, which would have been around the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they would have been contemporary. Mm-hmm. I think this was around the time that uh, Motoi Sakuraba was brought on uh, as a, on, on freelance retainer uh, to oh, start cool. doing uh, music for Wolf Team. I think Arcus Two is the earliest soundtrack of his, but I could be mistaken. So uh, by 1990, Low Profit saw Telenet or saw Wolf Team folded back into Telenet, uh, but um, the uh, uh, Tel- Telenet had recently opened an American branch uh, renovation, uh, which allowed uh, uh, Wolf Team's um, uh, Turbo Graphics and uh, and Genesis games to uh, to get some English releases. Bad translations aside, um, you know it opened it <laughs> opened the door to a new audience uh, for. Uh, for for Wolf Team's games, uh, so it was around this time that they mostly released they mostly released shooters in the West. Uh, they released the Annette games, uh, which includes the the very infamous um, Ernest Evans. I don't know if either of you have seen that. No, what what, what is Ernest Evans? Ernest Evans was a, <laughs> it was a Castlevania esque side scroller with a uh, with with a protagonist who was a segmented segmented sprite so his um arms and his legs and his torso would all move uh they they were all jointed like a a little bit like an action figure and it looked really ridiculous in motion weird okay yeah uh the, the key staff at wolf team around this time were uh the studio was founded by masahiro akashino uh other important people uh you know, we mentioned Motoi Sakuraba earlier as uh, as, as uh, being a freelance uh, musician, uh, but the big names here were uh, Yoshiharo Gotanda, who was uh, sort of uh, Wolf Team's star programmer as well as scenario writer, uh, Joe Asanuma, who directed all of their games, uh, Masaki Norimoto, who was a gameplay designer, and uh, Eiji uh, Kikuchi, who uh, was uh, was a producer uh, was a producer at the time. Eventually, ended up in the director's chair. Um, and then there were some other people who uh, aren't that well known, but uh, have made some uh, important contributions in their own right. Um, it's the the programmer Bugtaro, uh, which is the pseudonym of uh, Yukihiko Tani. Uh, he's uh, best known for uh, splitting off and uh, forming um, 
uh, forming Gao, uh, who did uh, Crusader of Senti and uh, uh, Linkle Liver Story, the follow-up to that. And I'm sure they did something else, because uh, they eventually became Nex Entertainment. And they hmm. did... Uh, okay, they did uh, They did a lot of contract work on Code Veronica, as well as the uh, behind-the-scenes work on Crimson Shroud a few years ago. So, oh, well, so they're yes. still around. They are indeed still around. I don't know if what they're doing at the moment, but they are... Uh, oh, no, apparently they closed in 2016. Never mind. Oh, <laughs> Okay, uh, and there was also Hiroya Hatsushiba. He was a sound programmer who worked very closely with Motoi Sakuraba to... Um, convert his compositions into uh different uh the different sequencing uh sequencing engines of, of different computers and consoles so uh, so is he is he why the uh the sakuraba compositions for like fantasia through uh valkyrie profile all sort of have feel like the same sound library i'm pretty sure he is yeah okay um it's, a, it's a distinct sound but i have a lot of affection for it uh it is, especially the uh, the Fantasia soundtrack. But yeah, yeah, like that was. Um, I mean, early Sakuraba. I, I don't know. Feels more. Uh, feels more likable than later Sakuraba because he he cranks out soundtracks. It feels like two a year sometimes. There's he his uh his uh, bibliography is so enormous. Um, um, yeah, no, I would agree. Although I've got some affection for some later Sakuraba soundtracks, but um, I know for a fact a lot of his work is with the Tales studio or with later Tales games, and he works to pretty tight deadlines. Um, so it kind of hampers his creativity. But outside of a few like late 2000s soundtracks, I don't have too much affection for his later stuff. His early stuff, however, like the Fantasias, the Destiny, the Eternia, the Valkyrie Profile, the Star Ocean 2, all really, really good. And it was really promising. So to see it kind of drop off is, you know, he's got some bright spots, but there's mm. definitely some outside influence and some time pressure that affects I, it, I think. I know he did Baten Kaitos, and we did talked about yes. that game a little bit on the on the GameCube episode, but uh, um, you and Seth mentioned really liking the music in that one, right? Yeah, I adore that. I think that's my favorite soundtrack of his, uh, oh, the original cool. and the sequel. Um, nice use I of also... violins in that first game. Yeah, really, really good. Um, I also really like some of Eternal Sonata's soundtrack, which is a another... <laughs> development off of another break on Triace and Wolf Team and everything. That's so right. Hiroya Hatsushiba went on to found Tri Crescendo originally as a uh, as a, a studio to contract uh, sound design for Triace before starting to develop uh, their own games like like Eternal Sonata and eventually um, uh, Baton Kaitos with uh, Monolith and uh, uh, Fragile Dreams. Oh, oh yeah! If we ever wanted to do an Eternal Sonata episode, I think I could just give the mic to Marcos and then come <laughs> and then come back in ninety minutes, and he would still be in the you know in the early goings. <laughs> he does love that game. Is he a it big is fan? A special. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! He he loves the music of it, of course, because he's Marcos, and and also the game in general. He's a I, I, he probably could tell you a bit about the Chopin compositions that inspired the game. <laughs> I loved the idea of Chopin RP, uh, Chopin RPG, but in the end, that game didn't really do it for me. I, yeah. I, I love the idea of taking a famous artist or musician from history and making that into an RPG, mm-hmm. a, a, even a, a, a weird dreamlike RPG. So, but it's—I uh, sort of wish Eternal Sonata was better than it was. It uh, didn't do it for me exactly, but in, in like on paper, that's it's it's amazing, and I wouldn't mind it on you know a game in the 2010s kind of like it. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've got some affection for that game. I do like how it plays, but it is so needlessly convoluted and with so many 20 to 30 minute cutscenes in it that break up everything. And it's it <laughs> just takes so much absorbing to understand, like, you know, Chopin is in his bed dying of tuberculosis, but he's having this anime fever dream. And I'm like, I can't take this seriously. Why are you giving me 30 minute cutscenes on death? And yeah, it's special. I do adore it. Um, But yeah, maybe not for the right reasons. It's, it's fun. It's extremely complicated, and I think, I think there's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of Wolf Team influence there. I kind of feel like Wolf Team's mo, uh, especially in the '90s, um, was like trying different ambitious uh, ideas. They had their fingers in every pie. They made RPGs, action RPGs, action games, shooters, uh, adventure games. Um, and I feel like they, they tried something different with every game that they made, and it wasn't always successful, but you couldn't really fault them for trying. No um, way, no. And, and there's absolutely, uh, I feel like that's really pleasant, really present in pretty much all of Triace's games. And I mean, those those early, those early Tales games before, um, I don't know, I think, you know, before we became sort of inundated when they became annual, um, <laughs> there was nothing else really like that. And I mean... You know, as as slow as Tales of Fantasia and Destiny could be, um, there was absolutely it was absolutely something new being tried. So I think that's what's special about them. <laughs> but uh, in 1991, uh, Akashino left uh, Wolf Team dissatisfied. Uh, he he kind of felt that it was a failing. You know, he he was the he was the uh, the the lead of Wolf Team when they were in Telenet. They tried to make a go of it alone. Had to be folded back in. Uh, he was he was extremely uh, demoralized and, and uh, depressed. So he uh, he left Wolf Team and he formed uh, J Force. Uh, and J Force are probably best known for doing uh, Dragon Force on uh, Sega Saturn. Oh my god! Now, yeah. yeah, I am pretty Sega agnostic. Unfortunately, I did not get a uh, I did not own any Sega system until I bought a Dreamcast used for extremely mm. cheap, and uh, and it was mostly a Skies of Arcadia and Soul Calibur machine. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair enough. But but my favorite weird old Sega thing to YouTube is Dragon Force. That game looks <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it does, I, I, I I would love. Does it have a modern re-release of any kind? Because that is something that I would I would totally spend too much money on and revisit as a curiosity. There was a <laughs> Japanese PlayStation Two release. It was one of the Sega okay. ages. Um, yeah. Oh, and I lied. I, I did play a lot of Street Fighter Three Third Strike on the Dreamcast as well. But yeah, um, uh, b- uh, back to Dragon Force. That is a that is a cool, weird sort of strategy RPG with sort of action RPG battles. Once you engage, mm, they're, it, they're not action RPG. They're more like just watching a cinema. <laughs> it's a little okay, bit so, like so you, uh, so you don't really control the characters as they sort of run around each other and slashing at, at each other. No, no. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's it it looks cool. Um, I. Yeah, I imagine it might not hold up, but the spectacle of it is what makes it special. And it's like it's weirdly like a, a it's like a Japanese 4X. You're doing like all this diplomacy and governing your kingdom in between conquests. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that that, I, that did not escape me. Yeah, uh, but the uh, <laughs> but I uh, I mean it was a lot of anime talking portraits uh, talking at each other. A lot of sort of you know it, it felt like a sort of big drama kind of uh, 90s anime. Mm. Uh, look and it had this 
this weird gameplay that sort of seemed to combine strategy and planning with some action. I don't think I even realized you didn't control your characters because uh, I've only, I've, again, I've only seen videos. Yeah, I don't think there's but, any action at all, <laughs> thinking back on but, that. <laughs> no, but but that, it's, it's such a weird, cool thing um, that made – that maybe more than any other game has made me sadder and curious uh, other than, I don't know, maybe the original versions of, of uh, Grandia and the enhanced version of Symphony of the Night. But – yeah, God, Dragon Force is so cool. And when I when I learned from uh, our t- discussions previous that this is another person, another game that has a lineage with Wolf Team, that just made me even more interested in it. Mm. So J Force, they uh, Akashino was very quick to take on a lot of contracts um, at a lot of different uh, publishers. Um, they made a handful of RPGs for uh, NX. Uh, and there's Grand Historia. Who produced Grand Historia? I'm just going to have a quick quick Google here. That was Bampresto. So he was sort of splitting his time between Bampresto, Sega, and NX. Um, and this, uh, this, this eagerness to establish... Uh, to establish J-Force as a um, producer of like high-quality games, RPGs in particular, um, ended up accruing a lot of debt. Uh, so, uh, not unlike, um, not unlike the incident that happened with, uh, um, Image Epic, uh, back in 2015, uh, halfway through the development of Dragon Force around 1994 or 1995, um, Akashino disappeared without a trace. Uh, oh, wow. And really? Short- <laughs> yeah. Uh, nobody knew where he went. And shortly after that, um, the, uh, company, uh, it was realized that they were completely out of money. Uh, and, uh, they had to, uh, they had to shut down in a hurry. And I think like the last odds and ends of Dragon Force were done internally at Sega. Um, yeah, that does sound right. But uh, yeah, looking at the, like, the timeline of their releases between, yeah. like they only had, they only released games between 1994 and 1996. And there's like nine of those things. And that's like not healthy for anybody. I it, would it's think. A lot. It is a lot. And they're all very ambitious as well. There's like, like yeah. Grand Historia is like, it's kind of like a Chrono Trigger-esque rpg about going back in time and i think there's like first person dungeons um okay burning heroes has something like eight protagonists um they're extremely they were extremely ambitious games um octopath (laughs) traveler circa 1995 yeah not not quite as good a lot more plot but still not quite no (laughs) (laughs) but wolf team they they weren't doing a whole lot in the West, in the '90s, um, one of the one of the most notable games, in my opinion, is uh, Neugier, uh, which was developed in 1994 uh, in conjunction with uh, Yukihiro Takahashi of uh, Yellow Magic Orchestra, uh, and this was a uh, this was a Zelda-esque uh, top-down action RPG uh, that made use of like a grappling hook uh, mechanic. Uh, and this was intended for U.S. release as um, the Journey Home Quest for the Throne. Like it got to the point of being reviewed in Game Fan, and um, uh, there was there was box art, and you could pre-order it, but um, it was uh, quietly and very quickly canceled uh, when uh, Sega, in an attempt to hang on to uh, every Talonet game, uh, bought bought Renovation, uh, the uh, studio's uh, uh, U.S. wing. Um, but the joke was kind of on Sega because Renovation didn't really make anything after being bought. <laughs> yeah, this looks neat. It looks kind of like, uh, kind of like Soul Blazer. Yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a peculiar game. 
and like it, it's this the soundtrack you know despite being by a a popular musician it's like it's got a few good tracks and but it's really really short he did something like six or seven two minute pieces for it uh one of which um <laughs> i made a special note of it the title screen music i think is like I think it's an, a ripoff of the Dead Can Dance song in Power We Trust, The Love Advocated, because it sounds exactly <laughs> like it. <laughs> oh my God. But this is all leading up to 1995, which is sort of the, the pivotal moment in uh, in Wolf Team's history and, and when they would see, uh, the, when, when the schism would, would see wider success uh, for, uh, for their alumnus worldwide. Um, so by 1995, Telenet were... They were kind of on the way out. Uh, they were one of the developers who really just couldn't make the transition into the 32-bit era. Um, so while um, while the 16-bit era was ending, uh, Yoshihara Gotanda, uh, star programmer, uh, had written he'd written uh, a a script uh, called Tale Fantasia, uh, which was I think. I think it might have been based on one of the tabletop campaigns that he did with his friends. I know that was that was fairly common of hmm. uh, properties that became RPGs or uh, or uh, anime series. So, Tale Fantasia was intended to be this really, really ambitious three-sided epic that um, spanned hundreds of years. With it was it was in three acts with three different protagonists. Uh, Gotanda was Gotanda was the writer. He was going to program it, and uh, Joe Asanuma was set to direct. Uh, but Telenet could not fund this. They absolutely just they had nothing, so they were looking for outside investors who might be able to, uh, you know, stump up the cash for Wolf Team to uh, to make their their big magnum opus. Uh, they ended up partnering with uh, Namco. But uh, Namco, they had some changes uh, before they would approve it. Uh, first and foremost, the script was far too long. Uh, it, if you if you know much about Tales of Fantasia, it was a game mm. that is already pushing the limits of mm. the, of a Super Famicom cartridge. I, I think that. Um, I don't remember where I read this, but uh, at, at the very beginning of Tales of Fantasia, you see a, a sort of different group of characters that is not the main heroes uh, sealing away Douse, the game's main villain. Correct. And, and this is the first five minutes of the game. And I think that was supposed to be the final boss of one of the other parts of the game. That's right. That's the final encounter of the first third. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'd heard as well. Yeah. No, it was meant to be about three times as long as it was, wasn't it? Yeah. It was and, three, and it... The whole like three era thing was meant to be stretched out much bigger. Like you don't spend a lot of time in the present in Tales of Fantasia. And I think mm -hmm. that was meant to be an entire adventure in itself. So, mm. yeah. 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 Tales of Fantasia basically has the present, which is almost an introductory arc that's just a few hours. And then very long, uh, and then sort of a two very long, uh, second and, and third acts that are the bulk of the game. And I think like they, they had to sort of adapt uh, two of the three arcs planned for Tale Fantasia into those two arcs. Mm. And then they sort of truncated the first arc into this one cutscene, or maybe, or maybe the entirety of Tales of Fantasia is just act two or act three of Tale Fantasia. It's, but, but uh, every single uh, source you check says that the original script was way too ambitious to be finished. So what the game ended up being was the third arc, 
which okay. fo- which follows Cress uh, going back in time to to defeat Daos. Uh But the the second arc uh, focuses on the character uh, Rhea, uh, and that was condensed into like a single quest. Uh, that that's the. Uh, that's, she that's one of the, is she one of the elves? She lives in Hamel, and Hamel has been destroyed by like this this evil scientist wizard called Demetel, who lives in a mansion yeah. on an oh. island. Oh, that one! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's Arche's Arche's friend. That's yes. right. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah. So that's just one quest in one town in the first in the first third of the of Fantasia. Yeah, and that was supposed so, to be like an entire an entire adventure in itself, starring her. But... Yeah, Demetel's like the first semi-challenging boss in the game. It's a it's it's a, it's a big imp- there for a while. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's an it's an important part of Tales of Fantasia. But it's like I didn't wow I didn't uh I didn't realize that Rhea was that important to the big script. She's she's a she's a one town NPC. <laughs> oh yeah, she's really really condensed. And I mean even the. Uh... Even the Cress, uh, the Cless uh, story was uh, very condensed. And uh, looking at um, looking at what people have said uh, who are familiar with uh, Tale Fantasia and have uh, checked out uh, or and and have played through Tales of Fantasia, um, people have noticed there's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of dialogue that suggests that the uh, that the player is fa- is familiar with events that don't necessarily happen uh within the final game so <laughs> very much a uh yeah sort of a truncated incomplete uh incomplete work i i sort of would love to to look at parts of that script because i i really have a lot of affection for tales of fantasia i've beaten that game four times and uh I don't know any of the drama or stuff surrounding it is very mm. very interesting to me <laughs> it's fascinating especially the original character names like um i think chester was called um bowman the bow wielder or something really <laughs> really on the nose like, and awful like that like Did, oh, oh god it, it, yeah, yeah there's a bowman in star ocean too yeah but but he there is he yeah his fist. he's not like he, he doesn't fight with a bow <laughs> yeah no he's he what he's a pharmacist that fights with fists uh, ironically <laughs> but the uh he's but ju- he's jude he is yeah. jude god <laughs> fist pharmacist sounds like a much more martial arts flavored version of uh of the frontier pharmacist sierra game you know you know what i mean a freddie farkas yeah freddie farkas frontier <laughs> pharmacist that's it it's just that just ama- an, a, tri- a triumph of alliteration that game but uh i love, I love that game yeah <laughs> it probably doesn't I, hold up at all but I, I i love the the humor and the and the sort of look of the old lucas arts and sierra adventure games which, which many people do but uh it's it's mm. kind of hard to go back to many of those but but anyway um yeah the fantasia characters uh it's like and, and Chester's also a weird one because he, um he's with you from the very beginning and then you get to maybe level I don't know five right and uh but then he is not with your group when they jump back in time and when you come back up to meet Chester again uh, uh Kless and friends are level forty five and he's still level five I completely is, forgot about that yeah which is a little mm-hmm. weird in the later uh in the versions of the game after the Super Famicom version if you stay at an in enough times he'll do he'll do uh training montages in the middle of the night where oh, Arche that's, ta- cool. that's fantastic. Yeah, where, where, yeah, where Arche, Arche taunts him and he gains a bunch of levels. But uh, no, it's very cute. But uh, that makes it's... sense though. Are you just coming back to the present? So I mean like technically yeah. you've been away yeah. for like five minutes, so he's just been exactly. hanging out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's been he's been gone five minutes, uh, uh with Douse about to kill him. You've been in the hyperbolic he, time chamber. 
Yeah, and and then you and then you uh, tele- teleport back in, defeat the present version of Douse, and then uh, and then Chester rejoins you for the second arc of the or the last arc of the game. Mm. But it was a, uh, <laughs> I remember it being a weird thing. But uh, yeah, man, Tales of Fantasia is good. <laughs> mm. I so, sort of wish that uh, that that uh, you know Chester had gone the Breath of Fire to Star Ocean Two route when gone by the name Bo Bowman. I, I would have enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Joe Asanuma was set to direct, uh, as he was, uh, the director of every Wolf Team game. Uh, but, uh, Namco, they, uh, they put, uh, Eiji Kikuchi in this position, uh, on very, very short notice. Uh, and this com- combined with, uh, the truncation of the script and also the reworking of the title to Tales of Fantasia, uh, with a view to make Tales of a, uh, a series if this title was successful, um, Gotanda and Asanuma were very, very unhappy, uh, with, uh, with what was happening here. And, uh, they just, you know, they, they served their time on the game, uh, but they just didn't want to be involved anymore. Uh, so, um, with that, uh, after, uh, after Tales of Fantasia came out, uh, Gotanda, Asanuma, uh, Norimoto, and Hatsushiba, uh, left to form, uh, Tri-Ace, which left um, that left Wolf Team just Wolf Team in name only, um, <laughs> because like the rest of the the rest of the big the, the the big names at Wolf Team had all left either in like 1991 or 1992, and then this was the last of them. So there really it, wasn't... it was really it looks like it was just Kikuchi. Yeah, and uh, and and he he directed Tales of Destiny, and then was a producer or director on a handful of other Tales games. I think mm. he's still with Namco, but basically yeah, it, it was like there's no other wolf team people in what we think of modern tales mm. no there isn't no he's a shareholder i think now at the very mo- most but yeah he was director he was. until i think he was director until baba at least maybe he got cut I out i don't think he did every game but he was a producer yeah. or a director on a bunch of them and uh but, I think it was but up uh, until but... they formed uh namco tales studio correct okay maybe, maybe. yeah hmm I have to. I'd have to look at the at the staff role uh, for each game one by one. I don't know if I want to do that. But but yeah. but Kikuchi. But Kikuchi was involved through the two thousands at least. He was. Um. In my in my opinion, I think he did a very good job. Um. I, I I've, I've got affection for him, even even if he ousted the uh the original uh the original director. Um. So Gotanda, Asanuma, and Norimoto they had this reputation of being the three aces of Wolf Team who uh. Uh, who who were the, the sort of uh, brains and know-how behind um, the more unique ideas. So the three aces became Tri-Ace, uh, along with um, Hatsushiba, um, <laughs> unfortunately left out of the, uh, out of the title. Uh, and in 1996, they released their first game, uh, Star Ocean, which... Uh, it, it... The, Super no. Famicom, yeah. the Super Famicom Star Ocean is rough. Yeah, it is. It's rough, uh, and it also you can see so much in common with Tales of Fantasia. Oh yeah, and so similar. I know, yeah. I know that I have a reputation for comparing two things that aren't necessarily <laughs> related. Uh, <laughs> uh, thinking back to uh, comparing uh, Seventh Saga to to Final Fantasy One. Are um, we going to get a meta fenifor here? <laughs> Star Ocean. Oh, it, Star Ocean feels like. <laughs> It feels like okay. Look, we're going to do Tail Fantasia, but we're going to make it in space, and we're going to change just enough. Uh, but we're going to put Asanuma back in the director's chair, and we're going to do this our way. 
the yeah. two games feel similar, and like mm. the sprites and the art look similar. But you could, I think, you can tell that they wanted to make a game like Tales of Fantasia, but then make enough meaningful changes that it was his own thing. Mm. Uh, the, there's a much more involved skill system in Star Ocean One. Uh, it has it has oh fights boy. on a it has fights yeah it has fights on an isometric 3D plane instead of a 2D plane mm. and um and then there's the uh, a mechanic that I consider central to Star Ocean where you can't recruit the full team uh, you mm-hmm. make you make sort of story decisions and recruiting decisions that gives you a final party of eight out of a mac out of a total number of playable characters of twelve mm. so it it uh. Especially with how the game looks and the world map and the Sakuraba soundtrack, it does feel like Tales of Fantasia sometimes. But yeah. it's it's a, a number of its gameplay gimmicks, I think, uh, make it very different from Tales of Fantasia. Absolutely. But like we said, but like we said, it's rough, man. That they had not figured out that two D plane combat yet, or I should I should say the isometric plane two uh, combat yet. It's it's way improved in Star Ocean Two. Oh, I, and, was, uh, I was just I was just giving the uh, Super Famicom version another go uh, before recording, and and I, I had tried forgotten play- that like it's pretty much you know like button mashing but menu based. Yeah, there's a there's yeah. like a tar- there's like a targeting system where you choose what enemy to focus on. Yeah, but for especially for the uh, non mage characters, really, you just want to go to the nearest one and attack them until they're dead, and then you, until you un- until you automatically target another one. I tried playing it several years ago, uh, mm. over a decade ago, with a, a translation that I think was pretty complete, but I ended up uh, giving up and just playing the PSP version shortly after. Uh, and it's, and the PSP remake, which um, takes a lot of cues from the design of Star Ocean Two is actually, I think, very good. It's, oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's in that engine. Star Ocean One feels cute when you play the PS the PSP version. It's a <laughs> a game of its time that was maybe a little bit too ambitious on the Super Famicom, and uh, in a more playable version that that PSP version, it's I, I think it's worth playing. But man, the Super Famicom version is rough, and uh, the 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 earliest Tri Ace is n- not the Tri Ace you want. How about those compressed voice clips, though? Like that that intro <laughs> Both is games, completely yeah. voiced on on Super Famicom, and mm-hmm. it sounds awful, but um, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. But... it sounds worse than the than the pop song at the beginning of Tales of Fantasia. But it's again, it's it's ambitious. It does. I mean, it's very much like uh, kind of a testament to the programming know how of uh, <laughs> of of Wolf Team and then later Tri Ace. Um, like I like that PSP remake quite a bit. Um, I think it actually makes that game playable. Um, but like, there's some things that I just I really really like about Star Ocean on Super Famicom. I like how it doesn't have a world map, but at least sort of like discrete discrete uh, scenes of like going through uh, jungles or or other other parts of of the geography that make up this this world. Uh, and you'll get these nice little touches like. Um, like an overlay of, of birds flying overhead. Um, and, and there was really, it, it was really colorful and there, there wasn't really anything else that looked like it. I mean, aside from Tales of Fantasia on, on the Super Famicom. So it had a very, it had a very striking look uh, as um, stodgy as it could be. The sprites look great. And the, uh, and, and the, the menus look good. And again, that uh, it has, some ambitious sides to it that are exceeding what uh, Fantasia accomplished, but mm. yeah, I don't know, man. I, I still can't get over how the combat is such a mess. I was yeah. surprised at how hard it was to go back to. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. It was up until 2003 that uh, Wolf Team uh, continued to uh, make games uh, 
for uh, for Namco uh, Tales uh, or, or for for Namco. They were just Namco at the time, um, with uh, you know with permission from uh, with permission from Telenet, um, and you know Telenet couldn't fund anything anymore. They were really. At this point, they were really kind of flailing. I think they put out one or two uh, PlayStation games, but they were uh, they were putting out uh, pachinko machines around uh, the the end of the '90s, uh, just in in a final uh, hope to uh, to to regain some uh, some revenue. Um, but it was in 2003, uh, shortly after the final final Wolf Team game ever, which was Tales of Destiny 2, the Japan exclusive PS2. Uh, uh, sequel to Tales of Destiny, that uh, Namco uh, threw a little bit of money around uh, and acquired a majority shares of uh, of Wolf Team uh, with sixty percent, which gave them the power to rename the company to Namco Tales Studio. And shortly after that, they released their first game under that banner, which was the uh, beloved Tales of Symphonia. Wow, that kind yeah. of explains why we got. Symphonia first because I don't actually think Europe got a single Wolf Team game. It might have got one because we didn't get. F- oh, well, Star Ocean Two was the only thing we got, but that was Trace by that point. Um, yeah, you, um, yeah. You, d- you didn't get Eternia on the PS One. No, we didn't. We, we didn't get it until the PSP. No, until PSP. Okay, right. Yeah, and we didn't get Fantasia until the GBA. So <laughs> nobody uh, did. The, yeah, same yeah. thing for North America there. But yeah. uh, North America did get Destiny and Eternia. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean Destiny to North America. Let's. We don't need to have that conversation mm. again. I mean, no, we but... don't. I wouldn't be surprised if the UK got some of like the. Um, the the laser disc adaptations that Wolf Team did for the Sega CD. Yeah, that's the possibly. kind of thing I could see them getting. But <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. looking at it now, and yeah, it looks like, gosh, even like the the Genesis pinball games might not have made it. But, yeah, we certainly yeah. didn't get um, Arcus Odyssey. Um, they were going to publish it under a, um, a different publisher was going to take it. Oh um, really? But it, ne- it never made it. Yeah, we never got it. So, okay. Yeah, I, I had no idea there was us. a plan for it. But yeah, yeah, yeah I guess renovation were. They were they were U.S. exclusive, I suppose. Where am I now? Okay, so uh, yeah, so Tales of Symphonia was the uh, was the first game to be released as uh, as uh, Namco Tales Studio. Um, although uh, Telenet still had a uh, had the second biggest share at something like thirty percent or thirty five percent, and the last the the remaining six percent of Namco Tales Studio belonged to uh, to Kikuchi himself. Um, oh. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think everybody here is pretty familiar with Symphonia. Yeah, very familiar. Yeah. Uh, first uh, Tales indeed. game. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was not my first Tales game. It was probably, I guess, the fourth one I tried. But it was the first one I played through with multiplayer, and uh, that was among our RPG circles. That was immensely popular when it came out. That was a that was a hell of a summer. I played Secret of Mana for the first time ever multiplayer, and then I played Symphonia for the first time ever having friends over and playing it. So it was really cool. It it had been out for several months or a year, but I was, uh, I played it when I was a freshman in college with uh, three of the guys in my freshman dorm. And cool. uh, And it it was the perfect uh, setting for that kind of game. Like the perfect situation to be playing that kind of multiplayer RPG. It was awesome. And again, I was uh, a little, I was a little chagrined to have my claimed mains be Colette and Regal, but uh, (laughs) But I, it was, uh, and I eventually played it solo uh, later because we we never finished our college playthrough. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was a, a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, Symphonia is very close to a lot of people. 
Yeah, it opened a lot of doors for me because I then was like, oh my god, what's this? This is an entire series behind this. And this was how I discovered um, Wolf Team and Star Ocean as a kind of a side. Um, because Tales of Symphonia is a prequel, a prequel to um, Tales of Fantasia, correct? Yeah, right. it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, so it's, it's like, like a it's over. Yeah, it's like over 4,000 years before Tales of Fantasia. And, uh, and, and the tree uh, Yggdrasil in which comes from Norse myth, of course, from Tales of Fantasia, even gets its own character, is uh, is named after a character in Symphonia. And there's many, many smaller connections like that, including all of the summons and... Uh, Oh, um, uh, and sort and, and, and sort of and uh, Carlon. Uh, that's right. Which is the, oh yeah, the, the the evil sort of the the civilization of angels in Symphonia. You can uh, Daos is sort of like the last ditch hero of that people. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's trying yeah. to save Daris Carlon like like yes. Mithra was in Symphonia. Yeah, but but, in, but no, but in Symphonia, Daris Carlon is sort of a uh, is a sort of a like a hegemonic power that's ruling over the the two worlds of that game. Hmm. Right. Yeah. It's endearing. I like that little reference, even if it might just be homogenized in or something. But yeah, I do. It's that was of, how I found out. It's kind of like a, It's if you think about it, I, I don't know if this was intended, but it seems kind of like a sweet nod back to yeah. uh, their origins. Because it's like, okay, we're not Wolf Team anymore, but we're going to, uh, we're going to, we're going to do this, this sort of like the pseudo prequel to the very first Wolf Team Tales game. Yeah, yeah, they did a two worlds thing like Eternia and a lot of references to Fantasia. I, I think Symphonia was meant to be sort of a culmination of previous Tales games, and they probably did deliberately connect it back to Wolf Team. It yeah, was a, it was a big celebration when Symphonia mm. came out, and I know like Abyss was a big celebration as well. But um, it seemed like so, Symphonia was way more ambitious than any of the previous games in the series. By it far. absolutely was. They were you know trying out that 3D engine for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Just look at the fights in any of the four previous Tales games, and then Symphonia, and you're like, okay, this is this is a whole new thing. Yeah. So, it was in 2007 that uh, Namco managed to gain almost all uh, shares in uh, Namco Tales Studio uh, because uh, Telenet. Well, Telenet made some some very sad uh, sad decisions um, as a last ditch attempt to uh, to. Uh, secure some funding uh they very famously uh licensed out uh the valis property to a company called ants uh and ants made a uh, series of visual novels uh called valis x uh which are pretty infamous for uh what uh what ants decided to do uh to the uh to the female oh. cast of valis. i'm worried where i'm worried where this is going yeah um valis was always like a little bit racy in that way that uh late 80s early 90s anime was of but it but it would be like the raciness of valis was probably more in like the manual and the cover than the actual content like there's like an opening cut scene on the pc engine version that has a panty shot that kind of sure all right okay um but I, i don't i don't love that but i guess i'll accept it like regardless um Although that it was meant to be like a little bit sexy, Valis was still a series that focused on um, warrior women uh, conquering all odds. Uh, so to see uh, to see them be starring in uh, some some really degrading gay and like I'm not saying that all mm-hmm. gay is degrading, but the particular subject matter of uh, the Valis X Games was uh, was incredibly degrading and uh, very sad to see. Uh, you may not think this has a lot to do with Wolf Team. They also licensed out Arcus, 
so there was also mm-hmm. Arcus X uh, by the same de- by the same developer uh, that put <laughs> the heroines of the Arcus series in uh, similar uh, regrettable Ooh. situations. Oh wow! <laughs> so that was like the the last gasp of uh, some of the more popular Telenet and Wolf Team properties uh, getting one final disgrace. Which, yeah, like um, throwing the toys out of the pram almost, and just being like, "We don't care anymore. Just take them and do what you want with them." Almost. Yeah. yeah. So these were the last games that Telenet produced. Uh, uh, nobody bought them, and the company closed their doors in 2007, uh, declaring bankruptcy and uh, giving full control of Namco Tail Studio to uh, Namco. Uh, and Namco Tail Studio, um, they. They were sadly uh, disbanded and folded into Bandai Namco proper in 2011. Uh, Mm. So, I mean, those those guys, they're still making games and they're still doing their thing. I think we might be due for a new Tales of game announcement later this year, too. For sure. Because they've hinted they hinted at it at times in 2018, and it's been over two years since uh, Berseria. So three years in Japan, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, like, yeah. It was the yeah, end of twenty sixteen. Yeah, like, okay. yeah, like, like, yeah. so like two and a half for Japan and uh, and around two for the West. The I think that we have a console one, uh, a console announcement incoming is my bet. Yeah, we do. Crestoria is not a mothership title, as they okay. were. <laughs> Rays did not last long at all. It felt like I downloaded Rays, and about six months later, they discontinued it. So. Yeah, it was really popular as well. I thought yeah, I heard some good things about it, and there's Tales of Link as well, wasn't there? Um, which was a bit more standard mobile-y, but, but maybe yeah. maybe they just wanted to move on to to a new mobile game because Crestoria looks pretty ambitious. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it, it looks surprising, really. I mean, I I might check it out. I I thought that Rays was okay, actually. I, I had a, a bit of a go with that when I when I got my new. When I got my new phone uh, a couple of years ago, and, and I thought, well, you know what? This actually, this might work. I don't know. Uh, but I didn't put a whole lot of time into it. You can, despite the studio being, you know, quote unquote, no longer in existence, at least in name, um, you can really see this sort of Wolf Team influence of each Tales game, uh, although there are similarities, each game tries to do something differently. Uh, and you know the the the, the choice uh, of Tales of Berseria, the most the the most recent um, console game to uh, map every single uh, face button to a uh, to an attack move. Um, that's I think that's really mixed up the Tales formula in uh, and 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 disrupted that in a really interesting way. Um, and you know I think that's worked out for them as well. I think that's that's been a very popular game, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty, uh, amongst fans, there's a kind of split. Like, after Tales Studio got folded into Namco, there's always been some people who prefer others. Um, but mm. yeah, I think for me personally, Berseria's like, idea, I, I was really worried about them mapping them to all four buttons, and it took a while. Mm. Uh, it felt very beat-em-up-like, which kind of suited me down to a T, but like, mm. it was just really fun, and you could really go places with those combos, and it was a really nice evolution. Yeah, so yeah. I'm excited to see what they do next with it. Yeah, um, I think that it, it was a very good idea to move away from the TP systems uh, that, oh, yeah. uh, that, that Tails has done for the past 10 years or so. And Berseria is a very interesting version of that, where, I, I mean, I, I'm not technical enough to know whether I'm in the third hit of a combo or fourth hit of a combo to customize the buttons that much. So I would make, basically for each character, I would make an X combo, square combo, triangle combo, and circle combo. And, <laughs> that's, and, that's uh, and nice design thing. it that way. I mean, unless you're yeah. playing like nightmare difficulty, you you 
you know, it's kind of ta- you, you can tailor it to yourself. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I like Alana. I'm very interested to see what their next uh, next combat idea is because uh, I mean, I mean, uh, we we said we said so in the uh, favorite tales of episode a few weeks ago that uh, Grace's F might have the best gameplay in the whole series. And that was and that was just one exploration of a non TP based system. So uh, yeah, two, I'm, I'm, two people I'm, after my own heart. I absolutely agree with that <laughs> statement. <laughs> yeah, uh, I haven't played a lot of uh, Grace's F, but I, I know that um, Alana and Steph both expressed that sentiment. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm in very interested to see what they go with forward. Oh, I mean, Grace's F is one of the few games where um, I have uh, completely despised the story and yet played all the way through and enjoyed every minute of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. But uh, aside from uh, aside from uh, Namco, there's also Triace, mm. and uh, <laughs> Triace. God love them. They try. <laughs> I know, don't they? Just I feel really bad for them every time. Like. Um... I guess we could start from the beginning and go to Star Ocean 2 because that's really the that's really the peak of them, isn't it? That's where they really got big and popular and I think almost universally the Star Ocean 2 Valkyrie profile era is their most popular and most beloved and rightly so. I think so. I mean like I think this was a time when <sighs> mm. Triace, they definitely got horny. I'll say that much. You know, <laughs> to, to, to be blunt, um, their their later well, games. It, I'm, I'm looking it's, at it's Star Ocean right in with 2019. Then, yeah, mm, like I'm looking yeah. at Star Ocean Five in particular. Resonance oh. of Fate has got some issues as well, but like they really like they kind of became like uh, they were really enacting some fantasies um, <laughs> in some of their yeah. later games. And there's. I think- of Muria from Star Ocean 4 who's the um like she's the elf like lady with the ma- like she focuses on thunder magic she has an outfit and she has a look and she pulls it off and it's for a certain kind of person but uh-huh. yeah and then you've got Fiora oh, the mage the gr- oh my god that outfit is awful she's oh, just yeah they, they they definitely lost something towards the end of the uh, 2000s and I mean the character designs aside like I I I, I thought Star Ocean 5 was not fun to play. And, like, I'm also kind of in that camp of Star Ocean 4. Um, but I, I played so little of that that like, I know that it has its defenders and its fans. So I can't I can't attest to Star Ocean 4 that much. But I can attest to Star Ocean 5 just being, um, like, a stodgy nightmare of a game. And, well, I mean, we, we don't need to turn this into a whole Star Ocean episode. But Star Ocean 2 is a beloved cult classic. And uh, th- th- that's probably up. my... Yeah, it's my favorite game in the series. And Star Ocean 3 uh, has really cool combat, and, and I never got very far in it, but I'm aware of its infamous twist, which is which is usually an early discussion topic whenever anyone brings up SO3. Oh, yeah, the the infamous twist that the uh, sequels are trying to pretend didn't happen, I guess. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> One of them's a prequel, and the other ones are really, is like straight afterwards, I think, and it just doesn't acknowledge it at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... I'm not one of Star Ocean 4's defenders. Uh, I will say, though, that it's probably got the best action combat ever, maybe. Really? Um, oh, I wow. really, really, really like it. Grace's F is the only one that comes close, but it just takes everything that Star Ocean 3 did and just polishes it and makes it so fun. Um, the story and the characters are absolutely like they're insipid it's just i i hate the story and the characters of star ocean 4 it's a bit much 
it is ridiculous yeah like the whole blowing up earth thing and oh no it's an alternate version of earth and yeah all the female characters are awful and not treated very well um but yeah like yeah star ocean 3 has one annoying thing in that you die from mp like you using up all your mp you uh, do i, I forgot about that dreadful because you just use it up so quickly. It's worse than but, Tails games. That's also got this, it's got this weird system where, like, I mean, there were trophies around this as well, where, like, sometimes a viable strategy was to beat a boss by depleting all of its MP. And sometimes, yes. like, a boss would be, like, a total sponge in the hit point department, but their their MP would be, like, such a minuscule number that you could just, you know, equip some attacks that drained MP and then just almost one-shot them. It was really yeah, but... strange. Those battle trophies are really hard. Some of them are ridiculous. <sighs> really, really awful. <laughs> like shades of the... I saw you chasing some secret missions in Vesperia on uh, Twitter recently, Alana. Yeah, uh, not they're not quite at that level. Yeah. The secret missions are not quite at that level, but you do have some ridiculous um, battle trophies that are like, beat this boss in under... Beat the final boss in under a minute. And I'm like, no! Well, they're really expecting you to just play it over and over and over again, aren't they? Mm, yeah, they are. <laughs> and not sure either. Hmm. But uh, Triace, they were doing they were doing a number of strange things uh, all throughout the the two thousands. Um, uh, Valkyrie profile, uh, Hillary and Hillary and and I uh, did a two part episode on on that game uh, last year. Uh, a, a very very unique and beloved um, side scrolling uh, side scrolling RPG with this. Uh, with this turn-based action system. Uh, you know, everybody who's listening is familiar with Valkyrie Profile. I don't have to go into too much detail. You know, Alana, as you said, like Star Ocean 2 and Valkyrie Profile were really like these two shining stars of uh, the the PlayStation 1 era Tri-Ace that were both... Um, you could see the connective tissue between them, but they were both just wholly, wholly unique from each other and from what other... RPG developers were doing at the time. Yeah, I haven't got far into Valkyrie Profile, but they do so many different things. Like Valkyrie, it's really hard to play either game without a walkthrough unless you want to plan everything out. Like Valkyrie Profile. Oh, it's mean, yeah. It is so mean. If you do one thing wrong, you are screwed for the rest of the game. But that combat is really cool. I love the idea that characters are mapped onto different buttons and. Mm. And other games have tried to do the same thing, and it's really, really neat. And, and like, you're taking and like, in the characters' like wind ups into uh, into account, so it's like press one button, and this character will start to wind up, and then press another button, so a character does a quick slash, and they combo quickly and juggle, and it's so it's fun. cool. It's so cool. Um, and, and you see a lot of this this cool experimentation in in Triace's later games. Um, I'm particularly looking at Resonance of Fate right now, um, mm -hmm. because that is. That is one peculiar game that mixes and melds genres like like nobody's business. The map screen is a game in itself. <laughs> I can admittedly I have not played much of Resonance of Fate because it takes a lot of patience to learn and pick up that battle system and the map system as well, Ooh. like you said. They really, really take some dedication to get right. How about you, Mike? Have you put much time into Resonance? Uh, I have not. Uh, I have heard a lot of people talk about it before, and um, we even brought it up a little bit on the uh, one of our battle systems episodes. Uh, oh, good! Uh, Rightfully last, so. Last month, yeah. And but it sounds completely insane. And 
I think we compared it to uh, the last story in that the yeah. combat system, the combat system is sort of an obstacle until you master it, in which mm. case it becomes the most, be- the best and most memorable part of the game, but it has a real, uh, a very steep learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Oh, that, like, um, they share a kind of tone as well. I mean, Resonance of Fate is a lot goofier than uh, Last Story, but they're both kind of like a day in the life of some uh, ne'er-do-well bounty hunters. That and the the ambitions of, of Mistwalker's bizarre position-based party action combat yeah, system, whatever it, 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 Last it, of Story was. Yeah, it, it was the position-based sort of assigned tasks style of uh, of combat setup is the what we compared it to. But it was a uh, yeah, oh, um, a little tabletopy almost. Both of them yeah, are a little tabletopy. Yeah, yeah Resident of Fate is, is. I find it weirdly intimidating, but I am interested in it mm. at least. Yeah. If I ever run, out, if I ever run out of games to play, I'll go and try it. But I don't think it'll <laughs> ever happen. It's nice that it's available digitally in HD now. So yeah. I, I, I am I'm looking forward to picking that up at some point because I, I like that a lot on 360, but I can't bear to can't bear to bring my 360 out just to play that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so uh, Triace, their own games, they're nothing if not ambitious. They try something new every time. Uh, they don't always succeed, but they are um, they're applauded and recognized for their technical know-how. Uh, which is uh, why we see them frequently teaming up with, uh, most recently, um, Square Enix. Um, they did a lot of programming contract work on the Final Fantasy Thirteen trilogy. And I think, unless I'm remembering incorrectly, I'm pretty sure I saw a Tri-Ace division in the credits of Final Fantasy Fifteen. I think I remember seeing that as well. I'll have to look it up again, but I remember being really surprised. But that doesn't actually thinking about it it doesn't surprise me too much because mm. there are certain gimmicks and finicky things in both 13's combat and 15's combat that feel like they're shared I think 15 takes some stuff from 13 and mm. that would be shown in what Trace's involvement is whatever that was mm-hmm. so I mean that's that's a potted history of Wolf Team and Tri-Ace um, I want to briefly mention a few of the other developers who were born from Wolf Team uh, we mentioned, tri- of course, we talked about Triace. They're a big part of it. They basically are a wolf team now, uh, or what uh, what wolf team became. Uh, and we talked about uh, J Force um, and uh, Gao. Uh, but uh, two other big ones are uh, Camelot Software Planning, uh, known for Shining for uh, the later Shining titles uh, and Golden Sun, and now uh, now they're owned by Nintendo and do all the Mario sports games. <laughs> they, but uh, Rob, you forget another legendary Camelot title. Oh uh, yes, it, our favorite game. It, our favorite game that we cannot avoid talking about if we're on this podcast together. Coming, coming soon to Retro Encounter. The <laughs> oh no, never, never <laughs> coming to Retro Encounter. From that awkward year before Final Fantasy VII came out, where they were trying to cram some P- some PS1 RPGs in in 1996. It's beyond the beyond. Oh, party horn time. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, beyond, uh, beyond. I've, what a depressing game! It looks exactly like Shining Force or Golden Sun, and it's just—it's so—it's so generic, but also such like a like a C minus version of every RPG trope. It's, yes. it's not—it's not good. Oh. So they had a terrible, <laughs> terrible start, and then made a number of beloved games, uh, including Shining Force Three. Uh, that was it. Was a combo of the Shining Force team and uh, some members of Wolf Team. 
that were Camelot. Uh, and uh, the other big one, uh, developer who um, I don't have a lot of love for, uh, after J-Force devolved, or after J after J-Force dissolved, pardon me. Uh, you could say devolved. I could for, say devolved. For, the, for these guys. Uh, the few members who didn't, the few members who migrated from Wolf Team but didn't make it to internal parts of Sega went on to form Idea Factory. Which surprised uh, me. Yeah. I did not know this. It actually makes sense now that I think about it. I did not know this either until researching this episode, but I always thought that... I was always interested in Generation of Chaos because I thought that those games looked like Dragon Force and thought, hmm, right. I, I want to try those out. And I've played them, and they're a little bit like Dragon Force, but a lot slower and a lot more inscrutable uh, and definitely not not fun to contend with at all but there's definitely a shared ethos in design there um which makes a lot of sense seeing that they are that they are somewhat related or have shared people between them but the rights to wolf team's games now um they were all they were all tied up by uh, except for the the tales games they were all tied up by nihon telenet and um vic ireland uh when he was working for sunsoft in the late 2000s managed to convince Sunsoft to buy the entirety of uh, Telenet's back catalog, including every Wolf Team game. So uh, mm-hmm. all of those rights are now with Sunsoft. Uh, Vic, famously known for uh, uh, working designs and a big uh, Telenet and Wolf Team fanboy in his own right, he failed to get Sunsoft to release any of these in the West uh, before departing the company. Uh, a handful of games have made their way onto Japanese PSN for PS3, uh, but uh, most of the early Wolf Team games, if you have a hankering for them, they are available in Japan on Project Egg, uh, which is, uh, I guess the closest comparison would be like good old games or GOG, but for Japanese microcomputers. So uh, Sunsoft <laughs> have, they've made them available digitally, but I think like you can't even access Project Egg unless you've, you know, convinced a vpn that you are accessing their website from japan <laughs> but yeah um it's that's that's wolf team all right a strange strange developer that sort of spread out into a bunch of unlikely directions yeah and uh rob when you suggested this episode i thought it was mostly going to be about the split about fantasia going and then uh and then sort of tales and Star Ocean going forward but there was uh, more drama and more uh, and, and more studios involved than I originally thought, which made me uh, more interested in recording the episode. There's, I mean, w- without Wolf Team, we wouldn't have Beyond the Beyond, and that's that's important. <laughs> How could we not? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That game is not good. <laughs> Why do we keep talking about it? <laughs> I don't know masochism. I guess. Um, I guess. <laughs> final thoughts on on Namco Tales Studio and Triace. What do we think, folks? I think oh, it's pretty obvious that my attachment to Tails and my... Uh, it was Starish and Five was the last straw, really, with Triace. Um, so no, I, I think I, they've I been more I promised ambitious... myself I wouldn't be fooled again after Med- Edge Maverick, and then I was. So. <laughs> exactly the same as you. And yeah, I picked up Starish and Five, and it's probably the most disappointed I've ever been with anything ever. And I didn't even get... I got two-thirds of the way through... And I dropped it because I got stuck on some stupid... I It was right after the cutoff point. There's like two-thirds, mm. three-quarters of the way through. You can do loads of side quests. All of a sudden, 
but it gives you no indication that you can. And then it's like, if you do the next plot point, that's it, you're locked out of the rest of the game. Um, and you're locked out into an area that's like 10 levels above what you were originally. So if you've done no training at all, you are screwed. Mm -hmm. So I went, nope, done, stopped, and then got rid of it. Uh, so yeah, my affection for Tails is a lot stronger. And I mean, I'm grateful because I Tails got me into Triace and I played Star Ocean 3 off the back of Fantasia mm -hmm. and uh, Symphonia. But and I, I applaud them for their ambition. I probably like try Crescendo more than I do try Ace than they did. They're so things. weird. They've made they, so yeah. few <laughs> games and they're all very, very strange. And I and, I love them all. And they're very different. Exactly. Um, but yeah, try Ace have been more ambitious with some of their early titles. Um, I, I even find Star Ocean 2 a little bit inaccessible. I would agree it is the best one, but like that last last five to ten hours are ridiculously hard and they're just but then all star ocean games do that they like throw you in and like here you go have everything do whatever you want and it's like well now i've got to learn how to synth and everything and it doesn't it doesn't tell you how to do that and i love that and i also hate it it's it was a fun thing to experiment with as like a diversion mm -hmm. but then when it sort of commands you to be uh, uh au fait and expert with it at the end of the game it's like oh gosh <laughs> i don't know how i got here please help <laughs> it's me intimidating yeah. yeah but yeah i it's really interesting because i knew how like nasty i suppose the split was um but I didn't know all the beforehand, so it is really interesting to see how that evolved and how everything's influenced everything. Because you can see, as obvious as it is, you can still see DNA of Tales and Star Ocean in each other. But there are also other ideas that are bouncing out between the developers. And I applaud them both for being different and going the way they are. Namco are definitely a bit safer, or Tales Studio, but I love what they do. And yeah, Both those just... series absolutely love cooking, and uh, I can get behind mm -hmm. that. It's true, yeah. Me too. <laughs> I, I thought there was maybe even a little too much cooking in Vesperia. If you want to unlock cooking battles, you have to do a an obscene amount of cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Master every recipe on every character to win. Mm -hmm. There are 25 recipes and, and not sometimes, everyone should cook. And sometimes you have to unlock recipes by unlocking other recipes. And it doesn't tell you how to do that. And it's mm -hmm. a lot. Oh, oh man! Never get lot. rid of your obscure systems ever. <laughs> How about you, Mike? Do you have a uh, preference between the two? I guess if I have a preference, it's Tail Studio, just because mm. there's there's more Tail Studio games that I've loved than Triace games that I've loved. Just mm. you know, just looking at one column versus the other. But I think that I mean, I'm I'm glad that we have both. These are fairly unique always interesting RPGs that have a lot that have um, devoted sometimes cultish followings on each side. Hmm. And, and I'm, I'm glad that both are around because they, they uh, they're interesting. They're always interesting and influential. I mean, we're getting uh, indivisible later this year, which is a, which is the most Valkyrie profile influenced game I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I, I think that they have sort of carved out their niches within the Japanese RPG fandom and have uh, and have deserved all of the praise and all of the grief that they get because I, mean, I, I haven't played Star Ocean four or five but I, I'm not sure I'm inclined to now. No, I think you're good. <laughs> I, I'm glad that these creators made the games they made, and uh, even if we're disappointed in what Triace has done in the past ten years or so, we'll always have Star Ocean two and Valkyrie Profile. We absolutely will, and uh, Valkyrie Profile a little bit a little bit more available now that it's on uh, on mobile devices. 
It might just yeah, be iOS, right? It's I'm not, not sure, a bad but... port, apparently, either. It's pretty good. Yeah, so I've heard. I, I swear they've been all right lately. You know, they, they had the Romancing Saga port that has been on absolutely everything. Um, it would be nice to see Valkyrie Profile elsewhere, except for, uh, aside from uh, mobile, but... Um, it's nice that uh, it's nice that such a beloved game is uh, is available if uh, if the mood should strike you and you won't have to pay an arm for a leg or con- or deal with a, a dying PSP disc drive to, uh, to play it. <laughs> <laughs> as for me, like I think I'm largely in the same boat as you guys. Um, I um, I have been frustrated with the sameness of some tales entries and how frequent they are and just uh, the the reuse of assets. However. On the whole, I think I find their games more enjoyable and they're kind of like, they're more of like a comforting hug where like, you know what you're getting from a Tales game. Uh, That said, like there's plenty of Tri-Ace games that I don't enjoy, but they all try something different. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard for me to fault them for trying. Even if they don't succeed, there's usually at least one or two interesting things in the nuts and bolts of of what their games do mechanically and like wolf team they were always like kind of like a holy grail of of uh uh, unobtainable rpg publishers uh for me back in the day like i remember looking at all these magazines of of all these like turbo graphics and and sega cd rpgs that would just never ever come out in the west like like fey area and isle lord uh and uh and uh uh Neugier, uh before it was canceled um and just thinking like wow these these all have this this great like late 80s anime look and um you know they're they're honestly probably not that great games but um there is there is a testament to trying something different with each of them so um, I'm I'm glad that they're able to that the remnants of Wolf Team are able to to do their own thing in different studios, um, no matter where that may be. Um, and it's it's fun to see uh, it's fun to see their influence. Um, yeah, so I think that's I think that's Wolf Team, folks. <laughs> okay, uh, well let's do some housekeeping as we wrap up. Uh, so next week. Uh, we are beginning a playthrough of Lufia 2, Rise of the Sinstrals, an oft-requested uh, and beloved uh, Super Nintendo RPG, uh, the second and, uh, and I would say, best game in the Lufia series. I would say maybe only good game in the Lufia series, but it's super, super well, good. You, mm-hmm. you might be right. It's a prequel to the first one. You're not missing any story by only playing Lufia 2, but it's awesome and worth playing if you like 16-bit RPGs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're also uh, we've also got an episode coming up on uh, RPG classes and jobs, and a, a certain spoiler cast of a high profile uh, high profile game that uh, I won't mention, just in case, just to keep you in suspense. <laughs> they, they they know they know, they know. They, they, yeah they know oh, they know they, it's, not, it's not it's not hard to figure out. Are you are you going to be on that one, Mike? I, I uh, that game came out earlier this year, and I consciously decided not to get it. <laughs> There you go. There you go. I think you, you might have had your fill at the beginning of the year. So Maybe, yeah. That's enough, <laughs> yeah. enough for you for like another 17 years. No, we'll see. Um, <laughs> I, I maybe yet uh, talked into playing another game in the series, but we've already we've talked about me playing or not playing these games all 2019 already. So I'm, I'm sure listeners figured out what the spoiler cast oh, is. It's Kingdom Hearts, folks. Come on. You should know. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts, place. Yeah. 
Uh, you can email us at retro at rpgfan.com. Uh, we love to hear your feedback and your suggestions. Uh, and, you know, we, we read every message that we get. Uh, and, and we value, value your, uh, your feedback and your contact. Uh, you can find us on the forums, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Uh, we are RPG Fan, and, you know, we're on the web at rpgfan.com. Uh, you should check out our sister podcasts, uh, Random Encounter and Rhythm Encounter. And we would really, really appreciate it if you could give us a uh, review, preferably a five-star one on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you catch your podcasts. Um, so uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, if you could do that as well, that would uh, make us very happy. Alana, where can people find you on the web if they want to talk to you? Uh, well, other than on RPG Fan, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Alana Hague, so nice and easy to find if you can spell. Um, but also, you can find me on Discord, on the RPG Fan Discord at Diving Falcons. So just give me a ping if you want to chat to me or ask me anything. Uh, if you do want to email, though, it is AlanaH at RPGFan.com if you're curious about what I do on the site and any other things. But always happy to talk do a heck anything. Of a lot. <laughs> I I don't know about that. Um, but uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. You keep, um, you keep okay. everybody else out of trouble. <laughs> I I do. Yeah. I'm RPG fan's mom, even though being the youngest woman. <laughs> I'll take that. How about you, Mike? <laughs> right. Uh, you can find me online uh, most places as Monsoon or Monsoon Mike or some variation thereof. I am at the Real Monsoon on Twitter most of the time at Evoca for Dogs other times, and yeah, you can find me on the Discord and on the forums as Monsoon or Monsoon Mike, and in many episodes of this podcast. Heck yeah. Uh, folks, you can find me on Twitter at Nervous, that's N-U-R-V-U-S-S. Uh, I'm never really good at this kind of thing, um, but uh, this, is, this, is my, uh, this is my final episode as a regular of uh, Retro Encounter. Uh, due to uh, time constraints and uh, tiredness levels and, and life in general, uh, I uh, am uh, retiring from RPG fan. But um, mm-hmm. it, has been, it has been an amazing uh, four years. Um, especially podcasting with you two, uh, who I think you've been my my usual uh, podcast cohorts on retro <laughs> for many episodes. Yes, and uh, um, this is not your episode of your final episode of Retro Encounter. I'm throwing that out there immediately, okay? Because mm-hmm. I okay. because I will I will pester you to appear uh, to appear on a future episode at some point. Well, but no, uh, you, you you name the time and I'll be there. But <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah, you've been um uh, I've been at RPG Fan only one year longer than you have, and uh, you were always an amazing podcast partner and contributed a lot of amazing things to the site. So thank you for all of your service, Rob. Thank you very much, and thank you for letting me be a part of Retro. It's been uh. It's been one of my favorite things to do on the site. So, so yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, with with that, uh, we will sign off this week. Uh, Mike, if you'd like to do the honors, tell them tell them what they need to know. Listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck. <laughs> <laughs>